I joined APM Terminals in 2017 as um, kind of uh, what was intended to be a head of UX and design. And then on the 27th of June of, of that year, Maersk were hit by Maersk and, and APM Terminals as a subsidiary of it were hit by um, what we refer to as a cyber attack, but was, was probably the first recorded act of cyber warfare. I was in a meeting room at the time. Um, someone comes running in. Um, and they said, cyber attack, cyber attack, detached from the network, run out onto the floor. You can see screens going black. They're kind of fizzing. There's red red type. Screens go black. I can see my laptop at the end of the floor. It still had its screensaver on. But as I ran down the floor, the, the screen went. And, 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 and that was my laptop fizzled. And so, yeah, that was that, and, and that was the beginning of my transformation away from UX, right? Because... You know, within weeks, you know, well, within days, I was working not on on UX. I was working on um, retrieving our customer-facing, you know, websites, digital products, apps, and things like that. That was a baptism of fire. Very warm welcome to the Understanding Users podcast, brought to you by Researchable UX. It's great to have you with me. I'm your host, Mike Green. I'm a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be chatting to various digital experts who I've had the pleasure of working with in recent years. They're from various disciplines, including user research, UX design, development, and product management. And they'll even be a digital business owner or two. I'll be talking to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and what advice they may have for others getting into the field. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. Imagine that three months into a new role as head of UX and design within one of the world's largest transportation and logistics companies, your organisation gets attacked by international cyber terrorism. At a stroke, this takes out most of the company's IT infrastructure. The responsibility of rebuilding your digital customer channels in the aftermath falls to you. What do you do? Where do you even start? This was the extraordinary personal and professional challenge that faced Alex Race in 2017. In this episode, recorded after we met at UXDX 2022 in Dublin, he talks to me about the immediate aftereffects of that cyber attack and how the organization had to rebuild its digital capability pretty much from scratch. He also reflects on the unique career opportunities this presented him, allowing him to redirect their digital product strategy towards putting the user experience at the heart of everything they build. Finally, he plays my three-card challenge to share his favorite UX tool, favorite technique, and a trend he sees or would like to see in the future. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah, hi. I'm Alex Race. I am Senior Engineering Manager at uh, APM Terminals, which is uh, a terminal operator, uh, 70 uh, shipping terminals around the world. We're part, part of uh, the AP Moller Maersk Group. Um, you may have seen Maersk on the side of big steel containers trundling down the motorway, probably holding you up from where you need to be. And I'm part of that wider shipping group, probably the biggest in the world. That's right. As you were saying, Maersk, I was thinking of of ships on the high seas with the with the big Maersk signs on the side. Um, 
That's great. And uh, you've had quite a a kind of long and varied career up to this point. Is that right? You you worked for a a number of kind of big uh, um, household names. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I I started my career um, back in the very early 2000s at Nokia. Um, the, the, the mobile handset manufacturers. So I worked on handset design, user interface for handsets, which was pretty basic back then. But um, Nokia was a fantastic place to learn your craft in terms of user interface design. They were way ahead of the, I mean, in, in, the, in the days you were called a UI designer, right? And you had, you know, it was before UX was even a thing. You were just UI designer. And um, and they were way ahead of their time in ethnographic research, in um, you know, in, in, in their tooling, in um, understanding the different disciplines from UX. So that's where I, I learned my craft, and I was, you know, absolutely privileged to be part of that organisation, which was really the apple of its time. Um, and I, I was there for nine years. Um, and then you know I took the, the to the plunge um, and, and and moved away from Nokia um, and and did some uh, went agency side for a while and, and did uh, as a usability consultant. So I was uh, doing usability projects for, for for big brands, you know Santander and Orange, Vodafone, just a, a whole host of them. Um, and, and that gave me a couple of things, you know, learning life on the agency side. It's, I think, anyone who's ever worked in an agency, for an agency, as part of an agency setup, knows it's really demanding and, and, it, and it really sharpens your skills. So um, I, was, I was privileged to go through that experience. Um, and then for, off the back of that, I went to British Gas um, and, and headed up um, the you know, user experience and, and, and design team there eventually. Um, and um, that was really, uh, you know, a pivotal moment for me because it was understanding the true value that UX plays in, you know, taking demand off operational front lines and putting it to our digital channels. So, you know, British Gas was a, a company that had many call centers dotted around the UK and um yeah and and it was really that experience that taught me the power of our customers using digital channels as a way to um you know alleviate the pressures off the front line and and and, and leave them to their their big value um so then did a couple of years back in an agency again sharpen those skills you know give myself uh, a reminder of uh, how tough life can be and then um, I joined APM Terminals um, as head of uh, UX and, and, and design back in 2017. Mm, fascinating. So a long and pretty varied career by the sound of it. We'll come back to uh, APM Terminals and your, your work there uh, in, a, in, in a bit because I know there's a particularly kind of seminal moment that, that happened a few years back. But I guess first, I mean, our paths crossed at UXDX, the UXDX conference in Dublin a few weeks, month or so back. And I'm interested to get your reflections and thoughts on that. You know, what anything particularly that's, that resonated with you that sort of stuck in your head, any particular speakers that, that jumped out at you in terms of kind of what they were saying? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the key things that you notice in the industry, and 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 then I I found that it um, 
really stuck out at UXDX for me anyway was that research is hot at the moment, right? The whole research area. So many speakers talking about research. So many, you know, rep- so much representation of, of people in, in research roles um, and um, so much research going on. And I think, you know, it, it resonated with me because historically research has been something that it shouldn't be but it it has been a bolt-on to kind of like visual design um and um you know the the other ux functions interaction design wireframing and and all, all that stuff um and researchers have really had to fight their way to the table and and still do right but what i noticed from the event was those speakers that were talking about research and and coming with with a story from the research, the workshops, things like that, um, was really popular. There was a lot of people interested in in that space, and it was great to see because I think it reflects a growing understanding that in order for people to act as a differentiator in their market, to act as a disruptor in their market companies have to understand what their customers want and how their customers can be taken to that next level of customer experience and um and that's something that that, that I took away I was just you know it really really um resonated with me mm. and then um additionally I think you know what, what one of my personal favorites was uh, I think it was Alexandra from US Bank I, I can't remember her surname but um talking about talent Right. Um, I'm a huge believer in, in nurturing talent and, and, and bringing new talent into the market. Um, and I've looked after apprentices. I've had apprentices as part of my UX and design teams historically. I'm very, what is one of the proudest moments of my life is having taken apprentices basically straight out of school and developed them into the consummate professionals that they are today. And, and and when I went and, and saw Alexandra's um, talk on um, the challenge we face with having the right skill sets in, in UX and design, um, you know, uh, between now and, and 2030, I think we've all got a responsibility to nurture talent, to bring it into the, the, the into our discipline and... Um, to encourage the next generation um, that understanding user psychology, um, creating people who understand that link between psychology and technology, that's not going to go away. You know, our, our user experiences are going to change. The the interfaces are going to change. The technology is going to change. But that connection between psychology and technology, that's not going to go away, whatever the technology is. And I think we've got responsibility to... Um, bring more people into the industry, fight to get juniors up, you know, with a seat at the table, train them up and and keep the industry thriving because it needs us, right? Mm, no, I, I totally agree with that. And as a professional user researcher myself, it's gratifying and uh, music to my ears that research is getting ever more kind of a seat at the table, as you say, because yes, so often it, it, it's been it's been a, a bolt on. Um that that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I I agree, and I think the I really enjoyed UXDX. I thought there was a lot of lot of great stuff there, and a lot of and just and the physical you know 
presence of getting a group of people together we've done you know we've all spoken remotely for so long we've sat on zoom calls and teams calls but just to get that palpable kind of energy in the room and people bouncing ideas off each other um now i know you gave a we well, gave us a recorded talk uh, ironically given what i just said but uh in advance of you you did a talk but it was kind of uh, available to attendees at uxdx in advance i'm interested to know because that was quite an interesting, a very interesting case study that you talked about. Maybe you could just explain a little bit more about that, and in, with reference to your own career and kind of what what it led to. Yeah, as I said, I joined APM Terminals in 2017 in February 2017 as um, kind of uh, what was intended to be a head of UX and design. Um, and then on the 27th of June of of that year, Maersk were hit by Maersk and, and APM Terminals as a subsidiary of it were hit by um, what we refer to as a cyber attack, but was was probably the first recorded act of cyber warfare. Um, and that was the NotPetya um, mal- malware attack. And um, that wiped out 50,000 50, devices within um, Maersk. Um, and it almost brought the company to its knees, were, were wow. it not for... Um, the uh, you know some effort of, of highly skilled people. Um, Do you know, out of interest, Alex, why Musk was targeted and who Musk targeted wasn't it? targeted. So, so the the story was was that there were general elections happening in the Ukraine um, on that right. day. Right. There was um, uh, an act of cyber war against the Ukraine on election day, and there was one um, installation of a piece of software in a Maersk building that got hit as part of that attack on the Ukraine. Um, and it worked its way through that, that, that piece of software into the Maersk network and, and, and took right. that network, network down. So, yeah. And I was in a meeting room at the time. Um, someone comes running in um, and they said, cyber attack, cyber attack, detached from the network run out onto the floor. You can see screens going black. They're kind of fizzing. There's red red type. Screens go black. I can see my laptop at the end of the floor. It still had its screensaver on, but as I ran down the floor, the, the screen went, and, 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 and that was my laptop fizzled. Um, Goodness. And so, yeah, that was that, and, and that was the beginning of my transformation away from UX, right? Because... You know, within weeks, you know, well, within days, I was working not on on UX. I was working on um, retrieving our customer-facing, you know, websites, digital products, apps, and things like that. That was a baptism of fire. Um, I bet. You know, I (laughs) I remember being in a meeting and, and then asking my opinion on recovering a DC, um, and, and and I thought they meant the data center. It turned out it was a domain controller. And I didn't even know what that was. Um, so it was a bit of a baptism of fire. And you know, I was saying to my wife, I've got to basically go and and stay at the office. I've got to kind of like their sleep rooms and they, you know, constant supply of pizza. And my wife, you know, said, uh, yeah, but you can't even pay your mouse with your Mac. You know, like I mean, like, <laughs> what, what are you going to do? And it was perfectly true. You know. Yeah. You know, uh, Clay Christensen would have said I was the wrong tool for the job, really. Um, but, uh, we, you know, I got through it and, and you know, I eventually found a cost code that I could use to hire some skilled people. 
and and we began clawing our way back and and bringing our digital channels back and 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 that was really the the seminal moment that took me out of UX and took me into a brand new world um because part of that um as as part of recovering those those channels I learned about the channels. I learned about a fragmented digital landscape that we had within the company. Um, I I thought back to to my days when I'd learned so much about how to serve our customers online through a single portal, allowing people to go to one place where they can satisfy kind of all their, you know, self-service and e-commerce needs. And I was like, yeah, we've got like 50 applications out there across the globe. How, how have we got to this situation when we we have a website, but it's just considered, you know, it was considered to be a marketing tool. And people were like, well, the website, that's that's what the marketing guys use. We don't use a website. Um, and, and so from that moment, I, um, I set about changing the strategy um, with our commercial team and saying, Let's redefine this. Let's rebuild this. Let's reposition, you know, the website, which was apmterminals.com. And let's reposition that as, as the one single strategic channel of choice where our customers can go. They can serve themselves. They can look up a container. They can find out where it is. They can pay any bills. They can, um, you know, answer any queries. They can get in touch with people. Let's make that the, the, the central hub. Um, but in order to do that, I had to, I had to get money. Um, and me with my UX hat on, I thought, how do I get money off people? Well, I tell them how much value there is in bringing our customers and holistic user experiences and, 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 and increased MPS and all this thing. And then I was due to present that, that, that slide. And then I thought, do you know what? At the time, we had such an old school IT, you know, um, leadership team. I was like, this is, it's just not going to fly. They're going to see this as someone else's problem. So I stuck one slide in, and that slide said, our current website is an inherent security threat, and I need this amount of money to fix it. And 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 we never got past slide one, and and we got the money, and that then started this journey to to rebuild the website, um, and and begin our journey to turn it into you know our self service portal of choice, um, and that's the journey I've been on for the last now since twenty well since twenty seventeen twenty eighteen, I've been leading the I've kind of formulated that strategy with with the business partners. And um, there was just me. I was the one mad bloke in the room that believed in in this concept. Um, and um, now we're we're building up a team of about seventy people to really take it in earnest. Now you know it's um, I'm kind of like stepping back a bit from from that to, to let the operational side take over and the development of it take over. And I'll intend on, on on moving forward a bit more in a strategic capacity, trying to identify kind of what the next big big wins are. But yeah, that's what my talk was, um, and that was the kind of journey that I went on. And um, it was 
fairly emotional. I'd, I'd probably say. I, I can imagine. I mean, talk about you mentioned baptism of fire. I mean, holy moly, you're only four months into the role and that happens. But I guess in some ways that sort of tabula rasa where you can just reset. Um, many organizations, well, most organizations, f- fortunately, in some ways, don't have that opportunity. Uh, I mean, that was obviously a negative experience for 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 Maersk, but it, or APM terminals, but it presumably led to a much more positive outcome long term. Is, is that fair to say yeah, that you could yeah, start again you, effectively? You and I think I think I think that's absolutely right. Right, you you, you do start again, and um, it's as they say after the forest fire, the green shoots come through, and and you have new life, right? Um, and 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 as an organisation, Musk, you know, now have one of the best cyber security centres, you know, in 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 the whole UK. Um, but also, it's enabled me as an, you know, well, you're never an ex UX person. I think true UX people are always UX people. But as kind of like, you know, as as my practitioning kind of stopped in in 2017, it's enabled me as a leader of digital channels to now support ux support research support design from the top down and make sure that it's ingratiated from from everything from our technology stack to our cybersecurity policies to you know obviously through your design functions your design system and that's quite empowering because i remember you know when I was kind of, you know, living and breathing on the battlefield of UX every day, there was nothing more frustrating than than having great UX deliverables, but then finding them being butchered at the development stage. Or oh, yes, them, I can resonate find- with that. <laughs> I think we can all identify with that, yeah. <laughs> or, finding them, or, or finding them, they don't quite make the cut when we go to market or whatever. Um and, and and always wishing that at a strategic level, this stuff was cared about and supported, you know, um, and I'm able to do that, right? So I've got myself kind of out of UX, but I'm able to support UX by um, kind of being in more of a leadership role in the digital space and ensure that it, it goes from, from the bottom up. And I think some people, you know, we, we talk about, who owns UX? Um, and but I think the truth is everyone owns user experience, right? Um, if you've got a database that's running slowly, that is the user experience. If you've got verification emails that are taking two hours to be delivered, that is the user experience. If you've got, you know, if you've got um, a system that slows down when you're hitting peak hours, that is the user experience. But you've got three different roles involved there. You've got a database administrator. You've got, you know, your your network guys. You've got, you know, it's they've all got a part to play in the user experience. But you need that to be instilled from the top down to make sure that it works. Wow. So it's quite a unique opportunity in many ways that, that you had. And you said you've got, it's allowed a career pivot. I'm interested to know, Alex, what was the what were the key key sort of takeaways for you the key lessons you learned and you know what advice would you give to some dare I say poor soul in a similar situation so I think um so I think the the, the, there are so many lessons but I think um you have to I think you have to see things as opportunities right um because to be honest at that moment in time when I was faced with the challenge I could have 
and some would say I should have said, that's not me, Gov, you know, I'll do you a nifty wire frame, but I'm not going to recover your systems, right? And that would have probably been a really sensible thing to do at the time. But there was just something in me that likes the fight, you know, that likes the challenge. And I think that, you know, that you have to embrace challenge, right? You have to embrace opportunities to grow. And you have to, when, when these things present themselves to you, you have a think and say, am I ever going to be presented with anything like this again? Is this a one-off opportunity or challenge or whatever? And am I really le- willing to let that fall by the wayside? Yes, I don't know where it'll take me. I might not like where it takes me. But is that better than just walking on by and carrying on with life as it is? And maybe I was just ready for, I don't know, a bit of excitement or a bit of, you know, um, so I think first of all, embrace the challenge, right, and see where it uh, see where it takes you if you can. The other thing is you've got to fight like hell. You know you have to have a fighting spirit, um, and it takes every ounce of you. And then you have to wake up the next day and you have to fight again. But <laughs> I tend to think UXs are used to that anyway. So it's not. Uh, I think just as, as part of well, I think so anyway. Um, so I think we're quite used to that, and maybe that's why we're you know, um, quite suited for these challenges. The other thing is, I think that the inherent skills that you build up in the, as through UX, whatever part of UX that is, I think it equips you for so many other challenges in life and in different careers as well. You know, I, I mentioned before that effectively, you know, I see you know, UXers, people who understand users, it's, as I said, bridging that gap between psychology and technology. You are that that key bridge between, you know, someone's mind and their mental processes and their mental model and a technological product, right? And and then you you look around and then the same can be said about stakeholders and stakeholder management. If you understand roughly how users think you begin to understand how stakeholders think and you begin to understand relationships between stakeholders and so you know by being in in this industry by being in this discipline it equips you for so many other challenges in life um by understanding other people as well and and the way people communicate the way people perceive other people uh, perceive messages and things like that so what i'd say is yeah if you've got a solid UX background, then um, maybe you've uh, you've got more skills than you could possibly know. And put your boxing gloves on and be ready to fight. <laughs> yeah, put your boxing gloves on, definitely. So in terms of um, UX as a discipline and, and, and sort of digital product design, how do you see it evolving over the next few years, Alex? Where do you see it going from here? Maybe it's industry specific, um, you know, in, in many ways. I think certainly in our area, I think there's a lot to be said for understanding your users and being able to create experiences and offer experiences um, that are tailored to a person within a context at a time. So I'll give you some examples. So at APM Terminals, we do a lot of stuff for truck drivers, right? The trucking community. People come to one of our shipping terminals um, in a truck to drop off 
a, a container or to pick it up, right? Um, and we provide digital experiences uh, around that to be able to make appointments or to be able to give information, etc. Okay, but you know what? What do people care about now? Well, you know they care about money, they care about time, but increasingly our supply chains care about carbon and decarbonization. Okay, um, and so if we understand what particular customers are interested in, we can begin to tailor experiences based on what we understand. So if I know that um, you are, you know, that, that if I know when your container is basically going to be at the top of the pile um, within, within our yard, um, you don't have to come to our website anymore to um, create a truck appointment to pick up your, your container we're automatically going to do that for you. And we're going to know what time is suitable for you, roughly. We're going to be able to tell you, you're going to save this much time. You're going to be able to save this much fuel. You're going to be able to save this much money and this much carbon by us understanding that this container is going to be in this place at this time. And you don't even have to come to a website. Our algorithms will automatically make that appointment for you. And you can override it. But we are going to do that. And I think that predictive element to user experience has got to be the way forward um, because we're in a position because people can't keep people cannot keep up with everything that's going on in their life. But algorithms can. Right. So we can take the stress and the cognitive load off people by constantly evaluating the situation that a user is in and their business is in and then adapting our services accordingly. And I think that's going to be huge moving forward. Mm. And and what are the I know that's that's fascinating and I agree. But and what are the biggest challenges you think facing organizations going through digital transformation at the moment at whatever stage of maturity they're in currently? Um, I think at the moment, I think it's skills. I think I think the skills shortage. I don't know if other people are seeing it, but you know, it's. Um, I think there's two problems. I think the the first one is skills that we are just we're we're crying out for people in the industry, um, and we're not seeing, you know, the the enough people involved in the skills needed for digital transformation that we we're used to i think the other side is that i'm slightly nervous about how um ux has been commoditized a, a little bit too much you've seen um a lot of um kind of we'll get you certified within two weeks type um courses um I'm old school. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, um, and 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 I've tracked UX back from what it is today back to cognitive psychology, functional psychology, you know, um, and um, human factors that was done in in the aviation industry. You know, user experience is a psychological discipline, um, and in order to do the job properly. You first start by understanding how people think, um, and I think there's a structure to that. Um, so I just, 
what worries me slightly is that there's people out there saying, because you've got a skills shortage and you need more people, we can do uh, an accelerated course, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, whatever. You're, these people will get a certificate and then they can come into their organization and they're, they're a UXer. And they may have learned bits and pieces of it, but truly we need people who understand people. And once you understand the, the basics of, psychology and how people think and how people respond in different situations then it doesn't matter how technology changes in the future they will always be able to apply their fundamental understanding of the human mind to whatever technology comes up and and whatever products however products develop so yeah there's some of the challenges i see yeah and it's interesting isn't it the number of People with a background in psychology, anthropology, social science generally that are, are you know attracted to this world, in addition to computer scientists and uh, uh, and others. Um, that's yeah, yeah. And how do you see your own role changing, Alex, over the next kind of few years in terms of yeah, what you're doing day to day? I think I think it's it's really interesting for me because you know, it's like, what am I now? I, I've kind of morphed a little bit. Am I still? Am I still UX? Am I still design? Am I, you know, have I moved into a little bit of a kind of, you know, digital strategy, digital director type role, having been through this experience of the last five years, you know, maybe I've got a bit of an identity crisis, I don't know, but um, it, I've got to kind of like ascertain that and understand that and say, you know, what has it done to me? And where does that take me? Because, as you well know, the market likes people who fit into boxes they don't like people who who have done 20 years of this and then five years of this and then they're like well what are you and it's like well I don't know so um I think it's a good question and when I know the answer I'll let you know <laughs> please do <laughs> brilliant last thing then I'm going to get you to do my three card challenge so uh we've got um hang on a minute sorry let me turn these around so we've got Jack of Spades, Queen of Diamonds, and Ace of Hearts. So I'm going to get you to pick. Oh, sorry, I'm going to hold it there so you can see it. Pick one. I'll pick the Ace. Pick the Ace. Right. The Ace is a tool. So tell me about a tool. It might be a UX tool. It might be something else that you use regularly in your work or as your go-to tool or something that you've seen that you particularly like. So I've got a tool and I've got a story. Is that all right? Far away, yep. Okay, so uh, my tools were really, really boring. My story, less so, maybe. So, um, so the, the tool is just plain old Google Analytics, right? And it's my favorite tool because it was the tool that told us that our customers had developed scripts to automatically scrape information from our website. And it was that tool that said to us, our customers want our data. And you always assume as a UX, because you love good looking, nicely designed user interfaces, that everyone wants that. But some people don't. Some people want data. And that's okay, right? Because that's also a viable proposition. And from my understanding, our users were trying to scrape our website and get our data. We were able to develop a product, a new website, that offered our customers the ability 
to go on and purchase access directly to our data, APIs, and pay with it through a credit card. And we opened up our first API store and it enabled all those customers, rather than writing these scripts, which would break because we'd change our technology and we'd be stopping them, they could hand over cold hard cash with a credit card. They could buy access to our APIs. We offered robust APIs and we created a whole new business segment, digital business segment, which was commercialized data. And that was all from good old trusty Google Analytics, a little bit of time and a little bit of vision. And um, yeah, we were really happy with the result of that. I love that story. That, that's great. Yeah. Right. Next two cards. Jack. Right. The Jack is a technique. Tell me about your favorite, favorite technique. I can't remember if I made this up or not, right? Okay, so I either invented this or I didn't. I just, it's got lost in the fog of time, okay? But it was the process that I went through in order to identify where we have problems in a digital product, okay? And if I met a new client, I went through this process and I still go through the process today. Okay, and and I called it DETA, right? It was D-E-T-A. And it was basically split, splitting a digital product into discovery, engagement, transaction, and advocacy, right? And I would walk through those steps with everything that we were working on. So how did users discover our digital product, our digital services? And that took you through the whole SEO thing. That took you through the whole... You know, you could apply it to specific tasks that take you through to, you know, whether it's social media that you discover it or whether it's through word of mouth or email or whatever. So there's discovery. Once users have discovered something, they've got to engage with something, right? That's when your visual design comes in, your wow factor, your your sparkle comes in and... and um, so that was engagement. And how do you engage people? How do you give them content that that, 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 that grabs them from the outset and, and copy and pictures and uh, layouts and, and that whole shebang, right? Then you've got transaction, right? And when everyone talks about transaction, they always think about money, right? Transaction doesn't have to be about money. If I want to go um, to a website and find the opening times for a car park, I might just go in find that information and leave again. That is a transaction, right? So whatever that transaction point is, you know, how is that accomplished? And then the third one was advocacy. Once I've done all that, right, how do I advocate that? Do I advocate it? Do I need to advocate it? Am I being allowed to advocate it? Am I being given that ability? So, yeah, I always think back to to, to my, that debtor model, um, that, that I used in kind of like when I was going through that um, discover the definition phase of our new website, you know, b back in 2018. I haven't used it in a while, but I'm dusting it off today and maybe I'll give it a revisit and see if it needs to be modernized for 2022. You heard it here first. I love exactly. it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And then the last one, which is the Queen of Diamonds, is, oh, I've dropped it, is a trend. 
Now we've touched a little bit about kind of the direction of UX and service design, but is there any particular trend that you like, maybe you don't like? As UXers, we get very precious, especially when you're an enterprise or you're a big corporate, you get very precious about your user experience, right? And offering the user experience. Um, And I think that moving forward, I think there's going to be a real opportunity with providing platforms that are a little bit more open and maybe offering opportunities for other people to build upon your platform or use your platform or contribute to your platform. Um, And it's not just, you know, this lockdown castle that only your developers and your UXs can design for, okay? We all love to end user experience, but you can be open and you can invite collaboration from outside parties and still own the user experience. So I think where I'd like to see, and we see it now with design systems, right? Design systems offer an excellent way for you to own the user experience, but then maybe, you know, distribute out responsibility for development. Um, And I'm not sure we've seen yet design systems being used to, um, the you know, the, the, their fullest capability and it'd be interesting to see but i think yeah um i guess outside collaboration on user experience especially for you know other for enterprises that might be slow moving otherwise which is interesting because i've got a lot of experience most of my experience in the last few years is government and that whole kind of open source uh the way that you know coding's done in the open is shared there's github repositories yeah. which anyone's able to access there's very much a gds design system yeah. which is fed into and developed it's very much kind of what you're saying and uh yeah and i i, I get though that obviously commercial operations operate quite differently and there's an element of power and control and and, and involved in that I think with GDS, so what was interesting with design systems was that it was the, the one of the examples where what was perceived to be slow moving kind of government can sometimes be perceived to be slow moving, but GDS led the way with design systems um, and and with kind of um, you know in making it open and making it an open relationship and 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 publishing best practice standards and things like that. So I think. Um, GDS did the whole industry a massive favor by actually taking the approach it did because I set, I think in many ways it set the um, the benchmark for how these things should be done. Thanks for listening to this episode of Understanding Users and special thanks to my guest Alex Race. If you enjoyed what you heard do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely and feel free of course to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website researchable.uk Join me again next time when I'll be speaking to another experienced UX professional and asking them to share their wisdom, tips and knowledge with me. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred.